What's up? Welcome back to the hood. And this is Chill in the Green Box with Spec Thompson and the View. And my co-host, like always, got some reason not to be here. I told him about a cicada uh, samurai. He started freaking out because apparently cicada's supposed to be like some kind of apocalypse thing and samurai, so he got extra spooked about it. So he ran off. So I'm here. And Jerry, thanks for coming on anyway. I feel like your ho- your co- is your co-host like um, Kenny in uh, South Park, where he, you know, he gets killed every episode. He's just never here. Is that yeah, what it is? Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it never it never get him be on the show. Like it, every I'm time we, we we queue up, you know, he's here. Then when it's time to press record or you join in, he, something happens every time. <laughs> but uh, well, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, somebody got to be here. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody Great job, gotta, you know. Someone's yeah. got to do it. Um, but for the people who are not familiar with you, give them a little brief introduction who you are. So I'm uh, Jerry Carita. I'm, I'm, we're here talking about my comic book work. I'm uh, the, the first book that I wrote that is on Kickstarter right now is called Cicada Samurai. Um, it's, a, it's a story about an immortal cicada, like little insects. The characters are this big in the, in the story. Um, it's, an, it's one cicada who's immortal and has uh samurai fighting powers and his job is to keep all of the other cicadas safe so if you live in america and you're anywhere in like on the east side east coast most mostly yeah you know <laughs> cicadas are those awful bugs that come out in millions like in the millions like every 17 mm-hmm. years they make a lot of noise but they're basically harmless you know people think that they're like locusts and stuff like that but they really just they live above ground just long enough to mate and drop dead they're pretty peaceful you know, chilling, just trying to trying to get laid before they just shuffle off this mortal coil. That's their whole function, and so a lot of them get eaten. So I just thought that story. So that's that's uh, the comic book we're talking about. But uh, by day, when I'm not doing comics, I'm a TV producer. Um, I do a lot of social media stuff. You know, you know, like everybody else, I have like five side hustles. None of them paying. <laughs> hey, that's a sub. One of my uh, well. I mean, I, I wasn't calling him a mentor, but you're not really a mentor. But one of the guys you work for, he said, uh, make sure you get paid five different ways. And I guess you, you're trying to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be, you know, it, it's like I'm getting paid on five different jobs, but all together, it doesn't even equal one income. But I'll, think, I'll figure <laughs> it out, man. It's my, first, it's my first comic book, you know. I'm just starting to get out there. I hope it goes well. I'd like to, I'd like to and kind of make comics my, my main hustle. Okay. All right, so on this show, you know, yes, uh, well, you, so you're on the East Coast. I'm I'm in New York. All right, so on this show is basically like uh, this um, electrical green boxes. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with those, right? I know all about. I watched I watched a few episodes of the show already. Oh, you, oh, I've, oh heard, I've heard you explain. I've heard oh, you're you explain a fan. To other people. Yeah, you're a fan. Oh, yeah, I'm a fan. And all over Brooklyn, they, you know, <laughs> we had the same green boxes in Brooklyn, so I know exactly what you're talking about. So, so since you're in the city. So we yeah. had the green boxes, and you know, out like in the real world. <laughs> um, but is it what, what I call it traffic signs or traffic lights or the corners? Now, is yeah. that the same thing for y'all? Y'all, y'all just hang out there? Cause I see like a yeah, TV. I mean, so when I was a kid, you know, I I live in a part of Brooklyn where people had like there are actually there's actually a little bit of backyard space. Mm-hmm. So I mostly hung out in my friends' yards. That's most of where, when I was growing up, where I would hang out. Um, and then, you know, I went to high school in, in the city, like in Manhattan. So I would take the train there, and then you'd hang out in the train in the subways. But they have those in New York. They have those green boxes. They're in the subways, too. In the subway. Like, 
Yeah, it's like I think it's just an electrical box. I don't I honestly don't even know. Is that what the box is? The green box is like the, or are you talking about specifically like the traffic light box? So, well, so I was called the green box growing up. I assume it was for the telephone thing growing up because I remember oh, like wow. specifically uh by my by my dad's house he had the Bell South uh oh, yeah. logo on it, but. To do research for this show to get my logo, so somebody can make a logo and know what I'm talking about. I find out it's an electrical box, so uh, I guess depending where it is. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'm looking at them right now. I'm looking at one right now. That's I think it's exactly what I had in my head. It's and it's they have them on every every few street corners in New York. I don't think they do it anymore, but I think it's electrical boxes, and it depends on if it's near a phone. You know, wires, it's for the phone company. If it's near something else, it's for something else. But in the subway, you know, the whole subway system in New York is run on electricity, too. So they have junction boxes that look like the same kind mm-hmm. of thing in See, the subway uh, system. Some of the, uh, my guests, they said uh, they have theirs on the telephone poles. Right. So maybe, depending on what it is, what, what the function is. But I thought a telephone thing was pretty crazy because if one of those things fall, I mean, it's <laughs> oh, yeah. be crucial. Telephone poles are crazy. It's just a hunk of wood, and they all, you know, my my grandmother had um, this telephone pole in her yard. Like on her block, they moved all the electrical wires from the front of the house and the mm-hmm. behind the house, so they ran through everybody's backyards. Mm-hmm. And um, they had these these electrical poles that weren't attached to anything. So, like, I climbed it one time, and it was it was like doing this while oh. I was on it. It was like oh, wavering, man. you know. <laughs> yeah, man, that spooked you a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like 12 years old. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> so I don't know what I was doing up there. I, I regretted it immediately. But oh. so know. since you're familiar anyway. with the show, you know about the, the first yeah, segment. But I get it. It's, it's it kind of like, you know, in offices, they, they call it like the water cooler. People hang around the water cooler. They mm-hmm. talk, you know, when you're outside, it's it's the it's the green boxes. So we're sitting, we're going to we're going to chill and we're going to talk. Right. We're going to hang yes. out. We're going to talk yep. about a bunch of stuff. Yep. Yep. I'm in. All I'm right. In. So first segment, breaking it down. So yes, my first question for you, uh, uh, what's your best world, uh, bro, what's your best road trip story or experience or worse, you know, the, the ones you remember the most? Um, so I did a lot of road trips for work. So I'm a, a reality TV producer. Um, I had a really funny, how, how, um, how, what's the, uh, the, your, your audience age group? Can I tell like, a can I tell like some weird stories? I, I, I believe I believe everybody probably born between the eighties and nineties. Okay, so adults, I'm saying it's not, not yeah, they're growing, yeah, yeah, yeah. People okay, cuss all the time. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> what, that's what I was worried about. Um, I had a really weird, weird. I did a road trip for a show, and we were in um, we were in Kentucky, and we were on a on a tour bus um for the show. It was uh. People were like really their favorite movie moments, and so these two guys were doing. They were, I think it was, um, we were doing Coal Miner's Daughter, so it was like a country music story. So we're on this tour bus, and we stopped in this town, and the girl who was in the show was learning how to make country music with this guy in the town. And uh, there was this woman whose job in East Kentucky was to make sure that when TV crews come through, they don't make people from East Kentucky like look bad. Like that's her whole job was just to hang out on set and make sure. You know, we weren't making it seem like everyone is a uneducated hillbilly, like that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the whole day. Was that we were in a dry county, you know, so there were no bars or or or, or liquor stores, 
And then that night we went to a honky tonk and everybody was blitzed. Uh, everybody had like moonshine under their table. Everyone knew that everyone else was drunk. It was the, it was like a really weird, like bizarre, you know, cause everyone, everyone pretended it wasn't happening. It was very, very strange. And um, that same woman, her name was Nancy. I have her last name, but her name was Nancy. She had a couple of drinks and then suddenly started trying really hard to get me to hook up with like some local girls who were way too young for me. And, and at one point she actually said, this is exa- I verbatim, this is what she said. This is my favorite road trip story. This is what she said. We had the tour bus outside. So she goes, you should take those girls out to the tour bus. I bet they ain't, I bet they ain't never fooled around on a bus that wasn't yellow. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> like, what just happened? Why? How did I, how did I end up in this town? Um, so that was fun. I've done a lot of road trips. I drove once across the whole country with my sister. We, we we started in L.A. We did the whole country in like four and a half days. Way too fast. We, like, we drove well, way too fast. Well, um, um, I did I did marketing for uh, uh recording artists, and we did a live nation tour, and so we started in Atlanta, and yep. so the artists and whatnot, and a couple homeboys, they flew. But we had to drive the the, uh, the Sprinter bus and the U-Haul attachment to California, so oh, we wow. made it. So we made it uh, to Santa Ana. Yeah. Uh, we made it made it there in a, a day and a half. Oh, that's crazy! <laughs> How old were you? You had to have been young. I can't stay seven, awake that long anymore. Seven, seven, eight years ago. Eight years ago. Uh, eight wow, years man. ago. How, yeah. how old are you now? Can I 30, ask how old? Thirty-two. You are? Uh, so you were still a kid. You were like twenty-five. Yeah. See, I so did, yeah, I did yeah. It was right before my twenty-fifth birthday. So yes, you're right. There you go. I did. I did a. I did a road trip from New York to New Orleans once with a few of my friends, and we made that. It's a twenty-four hours drive, and we made it in exactly twenty-four hours. We just didn't stop. We just yeah. took turns sleeping yeah, we, in the car, staying yeah, awake all night. We you know? stopped. We stopped. Maybe in what we stop at? I want to say New Mexico. We stopped. Yeah, and probably slept for like a couple of hours. But besides that, we'll be driving. And he'll yep. like he'll like put in cruise control. And I put in cruise control, and he holds steering wheel while I, I move over, and he jump over. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you were like doing shift changes like mid mid drive. That's cr- that's dangerous. That's that's as a full, I'm 43 now and I have three kids, so I have to say don't don't do that anymore. I wouldn't Please. do it now, but I mean, yeah, and, I mean, like I said, I was 24. The money was pretty good. I got I had a premium, yeah. you know. I, I was about to go on a, a United States tour, you know. It was it was it was it was a time, but uh, I used to drive in uh, when I was in college in the, in New York. We would go to Philadelphia in the middle of the night just to get a Philly cheesesteak. It's like a two-hour drive. We would just do that. Like at 2 a.m., we'd go, you know what? Let's go to Gino's or Pat's and try to get a cheesesteak. Um, you know, well, I can't what, do that anymore. What, well, one of my uh, one of my old friends, they, they got you beat. Um, somehow he had, like, these plane tickets from, like, cheap. So he used to fly to Philly to get a Philly sub and fly oh, back wow. to Georgia. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. Fly back to Georgia. That's pretty like, good. Yeah, because... Like, he he worked at a pawn shop, so I guess uh somebody pawned the wrong things because I know he had like a freeze phone for like six years, and all kind of stuff. So maybe he had a, a deal on some tickets somebody pawned off to him. Right. Yeah. Um. 
so my next question, um, 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 what what would be your favorite '80s TV show theme song? I mean, I always get gummy bears stuck in my head, and then it won't go away. You know, that one always sticks. Um, it's all cartoons. All the it's, 80s, that, like... That's what you were watching back then, so I mean... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Gummy Bears. Gummy Bears is a great, like, ridiculous bounty. It tells you the whole story, you know, what the whole show is about. Um, I used to love that. That That's probably my favorite one out of okay. all of them. Um, I almost want to look a few up now just to see, like, trying to remember. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Um... A lot of them. I mean, that was the thing. That that was what make them shows memorable. Was the theme song. Um, right. Nowadays, these shows don't have them. Like I'm watching. What the hell am I watching? Maybe the Disney Plus shows. They literally just the yeah. title title thing. Then boom, the show. Like yeah, they do just a title resolve. Oh, the Ninja Turtles one from the '80s was really good. Mm-hmm. Right. That was a really yep. good one. Yeah, Captain Planet too. Yeah, I used to love Voltron, but I don't remember the theme song really. Uh, it was just music. Yeah, it was just music, right? There wasn't really a song. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember. That's why I remember Gummy Bears. Just Gummy Bears, <laughs> bouncing here and there and everywhere. Now, you're, old, you, you're the first person in my show that brought up Gummy Bears. So, was Gummy Bears TV show and candy that related or no? Um, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think they might have used the name, but I don't think it was had anything to do with the candy. They were all different <laughs> sizes. They just looked like Disney bears, you know, and they would bounce. Like, they were kind of like, t- remember Tigger from Winnie the Pooh? Yeah. Uh, he was like, the wonderful things about Tigger is Tigger's a wonderful thing. The tops are made out of rubber. The bottoms are made out of spring. So he would bounce. Mm-hmm. And they would do that. They would drink gummy berry juice like Popeye would eat spinach. And they would suddenly have like superpowers where they just bounced a lot. That was wow. like their whole superpower. They would suddenly just be like bounce around the screen and escape get out of danger or whatever but so maybe that was like the thing you know gummy bears are kind of rubbery maybe there was like a connection there but i don't Mm -hmm. think it was ever like to endorse which is weird because almost everything in the 80s was selling something right like (laughs) he-man was just a toy company he-man was just hasbro i think just selling toys that was mainly what it was yeah you know the thundercats theme was pretty rocking too if i remember correctly you don't remember correctly (laughs) <laughs> I don't. It wasn't. Oh, it wasn't rocking. <laughs> it, it, it was just. It was just. It was just. Uh, Lionel saying 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 Thundercats. I, he might. He no, might but like right. the, there were You're no like rock and roll. Yeah, I just meant it was like it was like oh, yeah, a yeah, metal. Yeah, yeah. It was like some kind of a metal song or something. Um, what's sad? Um, they they remake. Well, they did it three times now, but they remade Thundercats, and it yeah. was an anime related TV show, and they had made. Silverhawks, uh, Thundercats, and, Silverhawks. and the water one. I, I never watched the water one, never knew about it, but they made all yeah. three of them worlds in the same world. So I was like, oh, that's dope, because I already knew that the villain was the same villain anyway, like uh, Momra, then Monstar was like the same yeah, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. I'm watching this. I have the Thundercats theme on over here now as I'm like hearing it like. <laughs> yeah. There is actually lyrics. Oh, there was. Cats are on the move. Oh, yeah, okay. It's a whole okay. thing. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, um, and so, then like Inspector Gadget always got stuck in my head too. Yeah. And yeah, I had that's like a really, I had a couple of crushes when I was very little on cartoon characters. So I had a crush on Penny from uh, Inspector Gadget's daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a crush on her. As like uh, a six-year-old or something. <laughs> I guess it was age appropriate. I guess. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. It was nothing, nothing, yeah. nothing wrong with that. You know, when you're yeah, six. somebody, somebody who's supposed to be on a school bus. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um. So next question. Um. You're in a gauntlet. Yes. You know. Uh. I guess. Uh. Olympic Coliseum gauntlet. Whatever. Uh. Whole bunch of tools you can use and whatnot. So what if you see one item there? What would be your weapon of choice? You picking up to use to try to win the gauntlet? The ga- a gauntlet is like um like a battle, like a fight. Yeah. I would probably go with like like a mason chain, like one of those big heavy balls on a stick. Okay. I just think the idea of that is kind of cool. I worked on a TV show called Night Fight that was on History Channel. Mm-hmm. And it's these these big dude like big it's like I'm six one and I weigh two fifty and I was I was little compared to these guys. And um they they wear like eighty pounds of medieval real like medieval kind of style armor, just mm-hmm. eighty pounds of it. And they use real weapons that are blunted. So like you can't stab each other, but they yeah. just beat each other into submission in a ring with these with these things. It's crazy. And we did a history channel show about them. Sound like good um, TV. In one episode, that was the main, <laughs> that was like the weapon. It was like this giant, like giant staff with like a metal club on a chain just at the end of it, and they were whipping each other in the in the head with it. And one dude got hit so hard in the head he just fell over, and we had to stop. The, he took his helmet off, and he was like cross-eyed. <laughs> it, gave him, gave I, him automatic concussion. <laughs> yeah, I actually just saw an alert. It was in, it's on that show is on Discovery Plus right now. It's on like whatever the. Max, whatever the Discovery, yeah. whatever owns Discovery now, the See, Discovery that's, platform. That's an AI listening to our conversation. <laughs> that, that's what it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, the, uh, it, I know you play video games, but it's a video game called For Honor. And uh, okay. one of the players you can pick has a, has a, uh, the ball and chain. And, uh, oh, nice. And I, and I use that because uh, typically each character got like, some kind of combo right. combination you got to remember. For his, is literally just up and down uh, swipe and left and right, and you just right. gotta do it the right way to to, to trick the your opponent. And I, I right, want to do right, that because right. I can just spam it, and you never know. Come just constantly swinging it. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's kind of cool. But yes, and in that segment, on to the next one. You know, hopefully everybody got a good little feel who you are and to yeah, the back issues. So um, with these back issues, you know. Just, just get into comments, but I'm pretty sure you, you read comments. You're familiar with them. So I people don't, people don't know. Typically, you'll look for a person's uh, origin story with their back issues. A lot of people mm-hmm. I know about Shredder from Ninja Turtles. You go back in the Ninja Turtles books and find out about his origin story. So here yep. we're gonna find out about Jerry's origin story. Okay. Hello. So, uh, so where are you from, and what do you call your hood? Uh, I grew up in uh, in Brooklyn, New York, in a neighborhood called Bay Ridge. Um, I live right next to Bay Ridge now. I didn't. I didn't go very far. You know, I was born in Brooklyn, raised in Brooklyn. I went to Manhattan. I went to college in the Bronx. All in New York City. You know. Now, what's your um, accent? I, do I not have one? It comes. You sound, in, it, you sound, you sound very Midwestern to me. <laughs> oh, really? That's funny. Uh, it comes and goes. If I if I talk to like my brother or my uh, my dad, you know, it comes out. I become a little bit more, you know, 
hey, Christopher, like, what, what, what's going on over here? You know, I become a little bit more Brooklyn. It kind of bubbles up. Yeah, I heard that about New Yorkers a lot. Like, like when maybe because you're on TV and you travel, um, a term they use is code switch. So since you like in, I guess, work mode, you talking the proper way. When you go around your family, <laughs> you switch up to. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know what? I, I also, I tend to, um, I do this my I, b- before I did this for a living, like. When I was in college, my college roommate for four years was from Buffalo, and that that is a Midwest accent. It's a lot more like you sound more like you're from Ohio than from New York if mm-hmm. you're from Buffalo, New York. And uh, I would, I, after a little while talking to him, I would sound like him. You know, by the end of this conversation, I'm going to sound like you. I just start to like, you know, I start to like sound whoever I'm talking to. I sound like whoever I'm talking to. No, um, I don't know why I do that. It just is like a, it gets into my ear, and then now I talk that way. It's just strange. It's not it's not intentional, mm-hmm. but um. But yeah, I think in high school, I, I started to learn how to like have a neutral accent, you know, like for a little while, I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to be a stand up comic. Um, you know, my mom, my mom um, thought I might go into like news mm-hmm. and like, you know, anchors on TV news all have like a neutral language accent. So I think yeah. I worked on that a little bit and kind of it sticks, you know, so when I'm talking about work, I toned down the Brooklyn. You know, but it bubbles it bubbles up from time to time. Okay, okay, okay. You yell uh, if you if you almost if you're driving past me on the street and you yell at me, you'll hear it. <laughs> I bet. You know. Um. Um. So, what music? Uh, got what? What artist or a song got you liking um music or got you liking that type of music? <clears throat> I, I like anything, man. I like anything that's good. Like I don't, you know, I don't. I don't really have like a. A genre. When I was a kid, I used to really like old rock and roll. I was very into Elvis. I was very into the Beatles. Was very young, and then I had a phase in high school where I just listened to nothing but like Led Zeppelin on a loop in my, you know, on my headphones, mm-hmm. I had like a little disc man, you know, on the subway, and I and, mm-hmm. a, and a like a book that was like this big, like a binder just filled with CDs of like various <laughs> Led Zeppelin recordings. It was like all Led Zeppelin though, um, you know. And then later, it, it, other stuff like I listen to anything, you know. Um, my kids are now into like. Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo song, you know, I have that whole driver's license song in my head <laughs> all the time. You know, it's a banger. I don't care what anybody says. Like, I'll defend it. Um, yeah, it's a great song. But uh, anything, I'm into. I'm into. You know, I'll do. I'll, I'll listen to anything if it's good, if it's entertaining. You know. Okay. Okay. Pretty easy going about it. I'm not. I'm not particular about about my music. Okay. Uh, what comic book or comic related TV show got you to want to do a comic book or reading comics? So, so the first the first comic book I ever read was uh, The Walking Dead. I didn't I didn't really? grow up reading comics. Yeah, I didn't grow up reading them. Now what made you pick up that? And all all was, things that. <laughs> I know, I know. I was I was working on um, a TV show. I was working on Comic Book Men, and that was on AMC for a lot of years. You know, that's the show about Kevin Smith's um, Kevin Smith's comic book shop in Jersey, in his hometown yeah. in Red Bank, New Jersey, and um, all the guys on the show. We would be in the shop like for many hours every day and they would just talk about comics all day and, and, and kind of geek culture stuff. And I got hooked just hanging around in the shop and we were on AMC and, you know, The Walking Dead was on AMC. And so that was the book that was around. I picked it up. I started reading. I got into it. And, and then um, my cousin is a comic book writer. And around the same time, he started working for DC. So I started reading all of his stuff and all the Batman you know books. This is around the time of like the new 52, like right around mm-hmm. that time. So I read all the, all the, I started reading all the Batman books basically. And then I went back and started reading all the older stuff that I hadn't read. 
you know, but, but the thing that got me hooked first was the walking dead. And I just thought it was kind of cool that it was, you know, an ongoing story. Like when I was a kid, my thing was TV shows. I was more of a TV geek than a movie geek, Mm -hmm. you know, and I liked that it was serialized every week. There was a new story and you'd kind of, you know, continue, go on forever. And that's what I liked about the walking dead. You could, you could make that book go on forever if you want to, it just can just keep going. You can change the stakes, bring in new characters, kill off people. It just keeps growing and going and going. They're um, definitely doing that with the shows right now. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, the one of the main show ended, but now they're just trying to keep everybody alive forever. You know, what well, they did the spinoffs is like, what four spinoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And they're still doing movies with Rick, right? I haven't seen one of those yet. See, that's what I don't understand. So, uh, I know how long it takes to do movies, and yeah. they barely have any special effects. So I don't know what taking long so long with that movie. Yeah, I think it's just a story. It's probably scheduling. You know, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. They probably also needed to do other stuff first. So like, what, what, what all does uh, Andrew Lincoln do? What, he, what he do besides? Rape? Nope, that you're you're not wrong. I have no idea. He might be. <laughs> he might not be that busy. I don't know. You know. <laughs> I haven't seen him. They're not doing another sequel to Love Actually, so I don't know what he. I don't know what he's doing with himself these days. Because I feel like he's just like uh, 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 what's the guy who plays Daredevil? Charlie somebody. I can't think of his name. Charlie Cox. Charlie Cox. Yeah. Charlie Cox thought he's gonna be hot shit, you know, right after Daredevil, and he couldn't get a job for anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if he, I don't know what he, what, what he was into. Like sometimes these guys end up like they, they are more like theater actors, so they do, they do work, but they're like in a theater, in a show in New York, and you don't hear about them. Like Neil Patrick Harris, you know, he was Doogie Howser all those years ago. Yeah. And then everyone's like, he disappeared, and then see, he was on How I Met Your Mother, but like for that. 15 years he didn't disappear he was he was on broadway he did a ton of broadway shows he just did a different kind of performance and just not the kind of thing that you'd see around the country he had to come to new york to see it so is that you know? livable? so is that livable oh yeah if you're i mean on, okay, like okay let me rephrase that so yes it's livable for me and you but somebody who's been yeah. in movies and tv is it livable for right. them i mean it depends on who you are you know if okay. you're if you're like if you're Neil Patrick Harris and you're doing Chicago, that's a big show, and and you know you could be one of the stars of it. Um, he did a show called Hedwig and the Angry Inch. He won a Tony for it, um, you know. But Charlie Cox, I actually did a, I did a um, a show called Geeking Out that was Kevin Smith and Greg Grunberg interviewing people. They would mm-hmm. interview like J.J. Abrams and all the people. And um, one of the interviews we did was in Brooklyn. And it was Charlie Cox. And I actually set up the interview on a rooftop because I was like, if we're going to interview Daredevil, we're doing it on the roof. And that's where we did it in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, with like the bridge in the background. It was beautiful. And Kevin just stood up there with Charlie Cox talking about Daredevil for a little while. He's a really he's actually a really big dude. He doesn't look like it on the show. Well, because he was standing next he was standing next to uh, She-Hulk. So, you know, she tall anyway. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yeah. But uh, um. Uh, but yeah, it's weird. I don't know why. I don't know why that 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 Rick Rick Grimes movie is taking so long. I don't know. Maybe maybe they decided to make it a miniseries. I have no idea. It's weird yeah. though. You're right. Yeah, and I understand uh, the lady who plays Michonne. I understand yeah. that because they're doing so much with her character in Marvel, and right. you can see you know, if you really watch the show, you can see where she's going to go film other things because her character just randomly just go. And, right. And whatever, but uh, since you just started reading comic books, but you say you're a TV show buff, so did you ever become a nerd or realize you was a nerd? 
No, I was like, I just was into TV nerd stuff. Like I was really into cartoons when I grew up, when I was like 10, 11, 12 years old, that's right when the, when um, the X-Files started, Okay. you know? So I was one of only maybe in my school, I was probably one of three kids who was watching the X-Files. Nobody was watching that show, you know, no one my age. So I used to watch the X-Files. I used to watch um, my, one of my ones was I grew up watching uh, Star Trek, the next generation with my mom. That was her favorite show. Oh, and so okay. I watched that whole series with her, you know, and I was 10, 10 years old when I was doing that. So, you know, back then that was like all the 10 year olds were, you know, worried about Michael Jordan and the, and, and who's going to win the NBA championship. And that was like pretty much it. So like, I would be like, what do you guys think about that thing with Captain Reich? You know, what about Picard? Like the way he made Beverly Crusher. Shut you know, nerd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like right away. Like shut up nerd, you know? absolutely yeah. like so i i had that experience i just wasn't about comics it was about other stuff you know okay and then um yeah and then you know it was like 2012 or 2011 when i first started reading comics no, no, and no. now i read i read mostly indie books so even now even among comic book people you know most people everybody reads some version of you know capes and tights and superhero stuff but when i'm like you know have you guys seen this book uh unicorn vampire hunter yeah. like people are like what what are you talking about <laughs> you know yep yep uh the books i love now are all indie stuff it's kind of cool now since you, okay since you got into uh comics you know with stuff that was popular but now you say watch indie and read any books why you just why is that i mean i just I, honestly like i because i think i worked backwards i was watching the walking dead i started reading the comic I did the same thing with all my favorite movies. So, like, I loved all the X-Men movies. When those came out, I went back and read all those stories mm -hmm. in the comics. Um, when, the, when they started making the new Batman movies, I went back and read all the older Batman stories. I made sure I read, you know, um, Broken Bat, you know, which was, like, the Bane story that where mm -hmm. he gets his back broken before I saw that movie. Um, so I kind of worked my way backwards. Um, I'm so, so, I'm sorry, what was the actual question? Uh, what, what made you want to read indie books versus keep reading like regular yeah. i guess publish i mean publisher books, yeah like you know the like superman the Batman. yeah I, so i love i love a good superhero story um i think i i think because i read a lot of the older ones and like you know they they do tend to kind of reset and start the story over again so i like i like when they bring something new to it um and everything in an indie comic is new. What I like about indie comics, I think, is I don't know anything going into it. I kind of like, I kind of oh, okay. enjoy that. I just know that I, I like going in and not and being like, I don't know what this world is. I don't know who these characters are. I don't know if there's magic in this world. I don't know if, you know, I'm reading a book called Bigfoot Knows Karate, which is another Kickstarter. It's yeah, like yeah, a yeah, Sasquatch, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's like it's it's hilarious and awesome and like really really serious. You know, it's very funny. Like reading it but i like that i like that kind of thing you know i just like that kind of story i think okay i was hit like i guess people say give a different reason why they do it but yeah. no reason made sense to me why people would read any comics you know most people say oh the pop too much politics in the new comic books blah blah but it's just the same politics yeah. in the other one too so it don't really matter so like i mean yeah also you, there's only politics in it if you re, if you bring that if you come into it with your politics and you want to disagree with something you're going to find something to be mad maybe anything you read or watch or whatever i just like a good story I don't, as yeah. long as the story is story i don't care if it's about superman or you know about a cicada who knows samurai fighting powers or like about ninja turtle i don't care it's like whatever 
you know um i just like a good story just tell me a good story make me laugh make me cry you know i don't care i don't care what your politics are right. understandable understandable well moving on to my I know next... people like to complain about that people do like to complain about that though yeah i mean i i see it but it don't ruin my uh reading experience like only thing right. that really like hit me uh, I was reading X Factor. Okay. One of the one of the X Men teams, and it was pushing the gay thing like really really hard, and I was like, right. man, like come on, uh, it was unnecessary. It was like super unnecessary. Like yeah, um, yeah. Like, I mean, again, I always look at that as like. I mean, the whole story is always kind of unnecessary, you know? So like, it just, it just is whatever the writer wants to bring to it, whatever the artist wants to bring to it. Mm-hmm. That's their, how they see it, how they see the story, you know? So I don't get at it. Um, it just, everything in the story doesn't have to click with me, you know? I, but as long as it's a good story and like, yeah, you don't want to feel like you're being taught a lesson when you're reading it. You know, you want to feel like you're just there having fun. And so everyone's everyone's kind of line for where that is is going to be in a different place, you know. Yeah. All right. So the next, you know, next uh, segment, you know, uh, hot keys. You know, for people who don't know what hot keys are, you know, they're key key issues in comic books that you want to collect that be worth some money. Like when a new writer get on, new artist, or a new character get introduced. Or nowadays, you know, uh, storyline becomes a TV show, and as well as music is. Special buttons on turntables that DJ press to queue up songs or sounds to get the party rocking during certain points, you know, the, uh, the event. So in this segment, we got questions that um, I asked him ahead of time to give me and questions I formulate throughout the, the show. We want to ask, okay. you know, people can take something from the show as highlights. So okay. going forward, um, I got a lot. Uh, Let's on. go. Let's go with your uh your family member. Um, your okay. family member, James Titan. Uh, Correct. So, um, how was how do you feel? Okay, is he a close family member? Yes. So how did this, how did how did it feel that he actually wrote these great Batman stories? Like I know he probably write beforehand, but for yeah. answer right, oh oh my god, he wrote Batman. Like how how right. was that whole whole thing going out? At Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because we actually, we do Christmas at his family's house usually. And uh, mm-hmm. at Thanksgiving at my family's house, my mom, his, his dad and my mom are brother and sister. So, okay, okay. And he, he lives in Brooklyn too. So I see him, you know, every couple of weeks, we, we, or every couple of months we hang out. We make sure to hang out. Um, I got, I got nothing but pride in, in my little cousin. You know, he's, he's a, he's a good bit younger than me. He's been very successful. He's very good at what he does. He did grow up reading tons of comics that was like his one of his geek things i think he loved comics and horror movies growing up so he's um, the um something to kill the children right that's him right something's killing the children the, yeah the big ones are something in the children the nice house on the lake um world tree is the new one world um, tree. and right before world tree the other big one was destined um department of truth and, you know, yeah. yeah and if you read every one of those is like a totally different world like sometimes you can kind of feel the writer it's like a they stay in the same genre mm-hmm. but every one of his books is like a different you know something is killing the children is like the closest thing to like a superhero story you can tell without being with dc or marvel you know that main character um, is like a superhero fighting monsters basically you know so yeah I, I the title you know is also catchy but 
Um, oh yeah. I just, just, I'm not reading any books, but I try to right. get to them when they, when they when they catch me. And those are the books that they kept getting thrown at me, thrown at me like what? So yeah. one is reseller locally. He sold the first volume to to me. I haven't yeah. read it yet. But you I should, man. It is, it is incredibly like, it is like, I'm trying to think of the way to ex explain it. It's like expertly paced, you know, it's like watching a really fun TV show. It's like when you used to, did you ever watch Lost when that was on? Oh, uh, no, but I watched uh, 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 Heroes. Heroes. Heroes did the same thing. So mm -hmm. Heroes would do the same thing where, you know, it's like an action-packed episode, right? And then it always would end on like a cliffhanger, something that would make you want to keep reading as you were going. And then you can't put it down. And he does that in that book. Like in, in, in it's amazing, right? It's really great series. Um, I think he's like four or five volumes in now. No, um, okay. I'm halfway through the new one, but it's great. So he did that. And then, you know, something, um, the nice house on the lake is like a more of a slow burn, psychological, strange horror story but it's a lot it's a lot more psychological it's not an action story at all um you know it's much more like psychological horror like it's and it's super super, super fucking creepy and scary um you know and that's in department of truth is like somewhere in the middle there's like it's it's more of like a weird like conspiracy theory kind of a, a book um but what i what i like about so when he started writing he was doing you know short stories in dc he was working for snyder um, who I think he had been in a workshop with Scott when he was in college. And, um, you know, he, he was doing like the backstories, you know, how they'll do like a short story in the back yeah. of Batman sometimes. Mm -hmm. So he was, I think the first thing he did there was he was writing those when Scott was doing Batman. And, um, you know, the first time he did like New York comic-con, I helped carry his banner thing and set him up. He had like, well, I think he had one indie book at the time. Um, it was either the woods or wind. I think it was the woods at boom studios. Um, but nothing but, you know, I'm super proud of him and, uh, he blew up. He, you know, while he was doing Batman, he was really smart and he launched, um, a couple of his own indie books at the same time. So he was already the, you know, he very quickly became like one of the most popular writers on the shelf. Is he, is he, and, a, uh, is he the wedding? The, the one that did a bat, uh, bat, uh, Catwoman Batman wedding? That, that's his storyline, right? I think. I don't remember now, actually. Well, you don't have to look it's, it up. I'm, I'm just throwing that, but yeah, because uh, I want to say he got me back reading Batman. Yeah, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that was yeah, him. Yeah, actually, not. I don't think that. I don't think that was. I think that was Tom King. Tom King, yeah. So he was before Tom King, or at some uh, something like that. Some at some yeah. Office. Tom, I think Tom's writing it now, right? No, I think he should. He should be off of it. Who's writing it now? Somebody's writing. There was somebody in between. Scott was doing it. And then there was somebody else for a couple of years, and then James. And okay. James did it for you know, I think three or four or five years, maybe. Yeah, he, he um, his his claim was um probably the longest run, modern running of uh Batman. I think. It's, it's oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was there for a while, and he did a bunch of the other books too. You know, he was doing he like Justice League Dark and like. Yeah, Scott did a long run too. Scott did. Scott was there for a long time. Yeah. Anyway, but so, you know, while, while he was doing it, he launched other stuff, but I got nothing but pride in, in that. And like, he's been super successful and he did a lot of that, like building of his career when I had, I had nothing to do with comics. You know, I was up until two years ago, I was a fan. I was a reader and not, not a creator. Um, and I started working with some buddies of mine who started a comic book company called Blue Juice Comics about two years ago. Um, and then I just decided this year to launch my own imprint, my own comic book company and start writing my own books. 
So how how do you feel when uh you say, hey man, I write my own book? I mean, he's been great. He's been like really supportive, you know, and like he'll look at if I send him stuff, he'll look at it. Um, mm. I kind of like will soft pitch him. So if I try not to bother him because I feel like yeah, yeah, his his I mean a lot he spends a lot of time signing books for people. You know, he'll go to a signing, and I'm sure everybody on that line is like. Hey, look you know, at my, look at my look at idea. Yeah. yeah. Like I got a book too. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure you know. And, um, you know, so I don't want to be like one of those people. So I don't do that. But I, you know, we mainly just, we honestly get together. We, I vent about work. He talks about work and then we mainly talk about our families. That's like, that's like most of what the, what the conversation's about, you know? Okay. That's cool. Um, he's great though. You, I'm super proud of him. That's dope. Uh, how did yeah. you end up getting into TV? How did I get into TV? I got really lucky. I got really lucky in high school. I just, I asked a guidance counselor. I said, I wanted to work in television. I don't know what I want to do yet, but I want, I want to make TV shows. Mm -hmm. And he knew someone who knew a producer and, and I got an internship. Um, and I was, that's when I was 17. I, I ended up working as a production assistant on a bunch of like pretty big movies. I worked on, do you remember that show Oz that was on HBO about prisons? Yeah. So I, I, I was like 18 years old and I was a PA. I was a production assistant on that show. Oh, okay. I was like in the jail on set, you know, in the jails, which was kind of awesome when you're like a kid. Mm -hmm. um, but I did that. And then, you know, I worked on a Woody Allen movie. I worked on a Tim Robbins movie. Um, and then I went back and I, I just kept on going back every summer in between college. I just basically got lucky. I knew someone who knew someone. I took advantage of it, you know. Um, and then fast forward, I, I, I ended up doing, um, I worked on a season of The Apprentice. And then I became a location manager and then I started working in reality TV more than more than uh, scripted stuff. So I've been doing reality TV. I, I've been a producer, a director on Wife Swap, on Counting Cars, on American Pickers, on The Food That Built America. Um, you know, some like pretty big shows. I've had a lot I've had a lot of success in my career. That is that's cool. Uh well you you the success definitely coming from the reality TV show. But like is it a really big difference between reality TV show and scripted? Oh yeah, it's a war. Yeah, it's a huge. Everything about it is different. Like in scripted, you know, everyone has a very clearly defined jobs. Like the writer is the writer, the director is the director. Mm -hmm. You know, like in reality TV, a lot of times there is non-union usually, and so there are generally not departments. You know, so if you're doing a show like Pawn Stars, like that kind of level show, you as the producer will write what's going to happen. You'll direct it. And then you work with an editor. Sometimes you're the editor too. Um, you kind of, you kind of can do all the creative parts of it as one person in scripted t television. That's, you know, basically impossible. You can't, it just, it's just too many things happening at one time. You have a, a crew of lady people building sets and there's a real schedule. You can't just mess with it. It's kind of a totally different animal. So, um, typically I would be asking this question a little bit earlier, but apparently the writer strike is coming downhill. So, yeah. two-part question. Did a, is a writer strike really really hurt the uh, reality TV show or did it strengthen it or how did it go? I mean, last time I think the story was that it helped reality mm -hmm. TV. Like, I think it happened in, 2000, I want to say it was 2007 or 2008. And, um, you know, there was a long break because of the writer strike and, and there was this kind of sense that like networks bought more big reality shows to kind of fill the fill the schedule this time i don't think that really happened and like the whole industry is kind of in a weird place now a lot of different uh all different um you know a lot of different 
companies, big companies that own a, a bunch of channels have been just combining into these big giant, you know, mega companies. Mm -hmm. So like Disney, for example, owns ESPN, ABC. They also own like, I mean, everything geek related. What don't they own? They own the Muppets. They own the Simpsons. They own um, Marvel. They own Star Wars. Like, and they own all the outlets where you can watch that stuff. They own Hulu. They own ABC. They own the Disney Channel. They own ESPN. It's like a weird thing. And then you have another company, Warner, which bought or merged with Discovery recently. So Discovery Channel, TLC, the Learn, like you know, DIY. All of those are owned by the same company that owns like TNT and TBS and Warner Brothers Studios. It's like all one company now. Mm -hmm. So it's been a little weird lately. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, reality shows are, you know, TV ratings are all in the toilet all the way across the board. Everyone's like knows how to get people to watch normal TV anymore. So it's a little bit of a weird a weird time. But so like during this strike, I I am not aware of there being any uptick in people buying new re new reality shows. You know, I don't think no. that really happened this time. At least that not in my experience. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see that happen. You know, uh, I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even tell you why. Really, I don't. Who knows why these studios do what they do? You know. So like uh, reality TV when when um uh, when they say that you know I think of uh like uh i don't know like like bad girls club or you know, the bachelor yeah. and stuff like that but when you naming shows like palm stars and stuff like that i didn't consider that reality tv so is it is it is it just general anything that's like not scripted is reality tv or is it yeah the term that people actually use more often than not now is unscripted okay. and everything falls in unscripted if you do a game show or you do Pawn Stars, or you do like a documentary, like Storm Chasers, you know, one of those shows. They consider all of that to basically be unscripted. Okay. You know? And then people specialize. Like some people only ever do game shows, only ever mm -hmm. do shiny black floor celebrities, you know, interviews and stuff like that, or talk shows. But all of that is kind of falls under a big umbrella of unscripted stuff. Okay, um, okay. But like my career is weird. Like a lot of people will do... I know a lot of people who only do shows for Bravo, for example. Like, all they do is Housewives. That's all they've ever done. That's all they'll ever do is those kinds of shows. And they got they get kind of pigeonholed. You know, they do that one thing. That's the person you call to do. You want to do a new Housewives show? This is the person you call. You know? And I never, I kind of never did that. I did a lot of one, two seasons of a show, and then I would move on to something else just to kind of keep myself, you know, creative. So you don't kind of fall into a rut. So I did every. I did a barbecue competition show. I did, like I said, night fighting competition show. I did American Pickers, which is like a very standard reality show. You know, buying and selling American, you know, items that they find in junk stores and stuff. I did like the Food That Built America is almost kind of a scripted show. You know, it's a hybrid. Um, they do like recreations. I'm, I'm writing right now on a true crime show. So it's like all over the map, you know, I, and then, then comic book men and geeking out, which was basically a talk show. Like I've done every kind of weird thing that you can think of that falls under that umbrella of like unscripted. Um, now, so I've been um, lucky because I'm always, I'm constantly using a different part of my creative mind. You know what I mean? I've been very lucky. Now I, I heard stories how Pawn Star works and uh, mm -hmm. Storage Wars, but like uh, American Pickers. Now with something like that, you just film everything or or you know we're going here to get this. I mean, you kind of do both. 
Okay. You know, the truth is you always kind of do both. You have a certain amount of time that you spend on American pickers. They call it freestyling where you just kind of hit the road for a day and you knock on some doors and see what you get. Yes. But you also have, you know, a casting person who's looking for people with collections of cool stuff. Okay. You know, so, you know, you have a guarantee that you're going to get a certain, a couple of things that are cool. Um, but you're also spending half your time just knocking on doors and seeing what you get. And sometimes you get the coolest stuff that way. So you kind of do a little bit of both. And I do that on almost every, everything is a little bit of that. It's like, I like to treat reality TV like improv, you know, it's like you kind of know where it has to go, you know, in Pawn Stars, you know, eventually they're going to have a negotiation and Rick's going to buy the thing, on, you know, but everything that kind of leads up to that, you kind of improv, you, you know, throw yeah. out some ideas, see what sticks, see what works, have some fun everyone talking you know if it's a drama show you kind of throw out a few things for them to talk about hope they pick a fight you know and then as soon as you know you have all the things you need to make a fun scene you kind of let them naturally how to figure out how to end it yeah but, um, um being, working with artists whatever you know i spent a lot of time in atlanta and yep. one of the artists You're right outside of atlanta right or yeah two hours like, from it yeah oh cool i spent a lot uh, of time in atlanta i was in uh, marietta for a show recently okay okay yeah i know exactly yeah. where that's at yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, I work for, uh, well, I work under Waka Flocka, uh, the, the rapper, yeah. uh, I was part of his company. So I was at an event and at the time he was on Love and Hip Hop and we, we had to sign the waivers and all that cause we could be used. And it was crazy. A skit they, I, I guess it's a, I call it a skit. It's a skit. <laughs> so they wanted to do an interaction between these two people. Right. But they couldn't get the angle right. right. So you can tell the celebrities were getting irritated because they got to keep doing this interaction that they already either was mad about or faking it or whatever. Right. But now they're irritated, so they juiced it up. And it, they did it for like at least 30 minutes. Then right. when the actual episode came out, it probably was like 15 seconds <laughs> of that whole ordeal. And yeah. Some of the celebrities that was there didn't make the cameo for the event. Let's say, let's say it was a, it was a uh, art, it was an art exhibit party. It was weird. It's like, it was, it was like, was that was at like a random venue? They turned to an art exhibit, but then they also had people performing at the art exhibit too. So it was, <laughs> it was wild. But some of the celebrities didn't make cameo in the uh, in the show. It's like man, they, all, yeah, all that filming. <laughs> And then do nothing because it was like a whole thing. I mean, that's what, on a show like that, that's what happens. Like anything that's about like my sister's a producer on um, Teen Moms sometimes, mm -hmm. and it's the same kind of show where you're following like a real story. You know, you're mm -hmm. following someone's life for a while, and you kind of have to like, okay, we're filming this. We have to film it in a certain way. You kind of have to make them do things over and over again. You know, it's mm -hmm. not real because you're just making them repeat things a lot, and you know, it's hard. It's hard to film that. It's hard to get people to want to do that kind of a show um but yeah and then in the end the whole show is going to be 20 you know you take commercials out of a half hour show it's 22 minutes long 21 minutes long yep so you know you spend like two days shooting you're, you got 20 hours of footage and you got to turn it into like 22 minutes you know enough most of what happens is not going to be on tv yep you know um uh, going to your your book your case starter you know yes, sir. uh uh, I never could think of the guy who links us up for these interviews, but 
Josh. He been, yeah, he's been promoting it, and it been catching my eye because uh, your character reminds me of uh, Shredder when he had the Green Ranger powers. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna look that one up. Hold on, because because I've I've heard I've heard Power Rangers a few times. It's got it definitely has a similarity to Power Rangers and like the other thing I've heard is Beetleborgs, which is kind of like in the Power Rangers universe. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, why are you looking up that image? Um, uh, tell us uh, like what made you what what made you do the story? You told us a little bit about what's going on, but what made you actually do it? Um, I just I got to write it. Like I had this idea in my head. I thought it was a fun story. And, uh, you know, I wanted to sit down and actually do it. Like I, I, over my whole life, I've had a lot of fun ideas that just kind of sit in my head. And then sometimes years go by and I kind of forget them or, or, um, someone else does something similar. And then I feel like, yeah, I can't do that now. So, you know, this one, I had this idea and I just kind of wanted to, wanted to do it. So I sat down and I wrote it and I started reaching out to artists and I got, I got really lucky. A couple of people I really wanted to work with were, were interested in, uh, in doing this with me. And so here we are. We did it. You know, we're still doing it, actually. Uh, That's my, as, be, my as, being some, so far. <laughs> as being somebody uh, who recently got into comic books and and whatnot, was it was it hard finding like your, your style or how you wanted it to look or read, I guess? I mean, I definitely like when I first started writing it, I catch myself kind of copying the style of other people. Mm-hmm. And I just wrote it and rewrote it enough times that it it started to feel more like my own. You know, I I did like a lot of revisions on it on the story as we were going through it. Okay. Um. So yeah, originally I think that's how everyone starts when you first start writing. You know, you you have like writing heroes. You have people whose comics you read, or you have mm-hmm. if you're a TV writer, you have TV shows you really like. You know, and you you kind of copy the thing that you liked at first, and then you over time you kind of learn how to find your own voice. And so, you know, I kind of, I definitely was reading, was writing this and kind of channeling other people who I like. And, and, and I just, you know, over time, you kind of, I kind of, kind of little things would bother me about it. I go back and rewrite little parts of it. And, um, so we landed here, but I feel, I feel pretty good about it. I think it's like, it's like, you know, storytelling is kind of the same, no matter how you're doing it, you know, mm-hmm. you have storytelling in music, you have storytelling in comic books movies tv shows reality tv shows you're still telling a story and so as long as you kind of have those elements you know surprise me a little bit have some fun um a beginning a middle and end an arc kind of like the character goes on a little bit of a journey and something changes um you know so that's what i was going for here and this is this is actually just a short story this one's this one's um 10 pages of story i'm going to print the book at 24 pages so everyone will get a 24 page copy but it's mm-hmm. 10 pages of story and then some pages of pinups, you know, people like artists, up and coming artists um, are working right now on uh, their own versions of the character. I actually today posted a bunch of you. So a couple of people have already been doing it. And then, um, um, and then I'm going to, I'm going to include some of the behind the scenes stuff, like some script pages and some pencils and inks and colored pages before the lettering was done. So, just going back, you said so. This case yeah. is for uh, the ten-page one, or yes. All right. So, how will we be able to get that twenty-four you just spoke of? 
Well, 20, every, every so it's, it's a 10 page story, but it's going to be in a 24 page book. The rest of the pages is going to be other material. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I get you now. I get you. Yeah. So it's so the same, a... it's the same Kickstarter. And then, so what I'm doing is I'm doing this one. I'm going to use this. I'm trying to use it as like a, the way Kickstarter was meant to be used originally, you know, where you'd have an idea, you'd try to get people to port it. And then you take the one version of it that you can make, you go out and you pitch it, you try and sell it. So I'm, what I'm basically doing here is I wanted to fund the, I wanted to get some really good artists. Um, I wanted to help fund that. And then I wanted to, I'm going to take the short story and use it to pitch this as a longer story to some publishers, see how that goes. Um, and then I may come back to Kickstarter with it in a few months with, um, what I would do then is, is publish double issues. So when I, when I, I have a six issue story, you know, normal floppies are like 22, 24 pages, something like that. I would do, I would print it as 44 or 48 pages. So double issues. So this way, the next one isn't a 10 page short story. It's a double, it's a double size full comic. All right. See, nobody ever That's told me idea. that. Nobody ever told me, hey, this is what you should do. Because um, that makes sense because I don't got some Kickstarter books yeah. that they have like fantastic cover art. Right. And inside the black and white. It, it, yeah. So I'm like, huh? But yeah, yeah. doing it your way makes sense because it's only that little sample, I guess. Then they pitch that to a company. Then you know. Then they get the extra books. Right. Um, my my yeah, way. Yeah, we're doing I'm, we're doing full color all the way through from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm going to be publishing another book that we're doing in black and white, but it's on purpose. It's a it's a it's a the the artist is a guy named Les um, Les Linden Garner. He's really talented, and he his inks were so good that we were like, why don't you try? Why don't we do like an inch? on it and see how it looks and he went through and and kind of shaded it so that it feels like it's meant to be black and white it's not just mm-hmm. it's not just a a comic that we didn't do the colors yet you know what i mean i think that so is it, is, it, uh, gray, that. is it uh grayscale yeah it's kind of grayscale but like ink, an ink wash so it's got oh, okay. like shading and stuff so oh, okay, it, okay. it looks like it's meant to be black and white you know and, okay. and the inks are so lush and like beautiful that i we just decided that so we're going to do that for kickstarter um, so that it's a it's a different collectible. You know, we want we want people to have something they can't get in stores later, and we mm-hmm. want we want to support comic book stores by making sure whatever we're selling in the comic book store has not already been sold on Kickstarter. We want to make sure everyone kind of has their own exclusive version of these things. All right, that's, that's cool. But yeah, like the story to me was was very important. So I didn't want to do a, a kick. You do a lot of Kickstarter. You could sell a lot of Kickstarter books with just sexy covers. If I had, if I had put like a cicada samurai on the cover with big boobs, I'd sell so many, so many copies. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted it to be more about the story. So, you know, we kept it kind of limited who, we, who I talked to about covers. And I just really talked to people that really wanted to work. I got really yeah. lucky. You know, people said yes. Yeah. I had a, a friend in the, in the, that is comic books and he tested that theory out. He made like a, 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 a vague, Kickstarter account, and he, it was like just he just made it. Uh, I don't know the name. I just make a name. Let's say it's called Sexy Plumber Girls, you know, sisters or whatever. Because the the uh, Mario movie had came out, so he made two girls as wore uh, green and red with a hat and overalls, but they looked like they're supposed to be Mario and Luigi, and that's it. And, uh, everything else had nothing to do with Mario at all, and. Yeah. He made all kind of money off of it. He's like, that's crazy. <laughs> so yep. he's I'm looking doing... at it right now. I think I'm looking at it right now. Super Plumber Sisters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and it's it, it's it's a red it's a red red overalls and green overalls, and they're you know, and and then there's a bunch of like topless covers, you know. Yeah. And he raised twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can you can do that. The thing is, this looks like a fun story too, but like. A lot of times you can just, it's just selling covers and you can do that. You know, if that's some people like it's art, you know, people like to collect art mm-hmm. and there's a handful of artists that if you're willing to, to dig deep into your pockets that you can have them do your book, you're guaranteed to raise at least 20,000 bucks. You could raise a lot more. You see, I'm not, see, I, that, that's what it hurt. See, once I finish, I got like one more issue of my book to finish and I'm going to do like a full volume of it. Then I go really right. pay like a real special artist to do the, the cover for that volume. But you know, I'm coming out of my pocket and doing my books and whatever. Then, then Kickstarter, so right. like dropping like six hundred bucks on an artist to do a cover, <laughs> and then then it yeah. it is it is a, a B cover, and somebody yeah. has to pick it. Yes, like so I get five people to pick it. That's not going to cover the six hundred dollars. So like, right. I mean, you know, like I said though, if you if you depending on like I'm looking at this hit your friend's Kickstarter, right? So. Mm-hmm. The A cover where the two girls are dressed, they're wearing clothes, you know, 285 people bought that cover for 10 bucks. And then you scroll down a little bit and this is why this happens. It's like you scroll down a little bit. It's like 10 people bought this one, 25 people bought that one. These are all the ones where they're clothed. And then you get down to where everyone's naked and like 40 people bought one for 40 bucks. And then, and then you get the people who like here, this one is like a, a, a package deal, 13 bucks, $60 a pop. Third backers, sixty dollars a pop. Thirteen backers, one hundred and forty dollars a pop. A pop with for all the covers. So you can like just make it can be like a big cash grab. Someone gave him five hundred bucks for all the covers. You know, it's it's like you can do that and you can make a good you can make a lot of money. And the thing is, I I don't knock it. It's art. You know, you get to write your story, you get to put your story out there, and you get to make enough money to pay all these great cover artists to publicize your book. Mm-hmm. And then when you put the next one out, you know he has six hundred and seventy five backers. Yeah. All those people are, might want if they like the book, if they like the story he told, they'll come back for the next one. Yeah, he, you know? he did. He did another one. Another one. It was after was uh, Little Witch Academia, a play on like uh, My Hero Academia. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And it, and it did the same result. Like, and, and <laughs> it is it, it's so funny to him because he has other books that you know he really tried to promote and stuff. And right, Tessie wasn't getting as much traction in those books, and he's and he's hilarious, but. It just it is funny. Like books he just like I can just put it out there and make some money. And he makes some real deal money off of it. <laughs> right. Uh is your friend is it um Tyler? Tyler Carpenter? Is that your Tyler buddy? Tyler Carpenter, yes him. Yeah, I'm looking at his he's got like he made his own a separate profile for the sexy book. Yeah, yeah, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Because the other because then he's got these other books that are very like cool anime looking, but he's had a lot of success. Yeah. You know, that's great. Yeah, so, but uh, it, it's funny, but uh, yeah, um, that's see, good, been, man. good for him. See, I've been using uh, Kickstarter basically as a pre a pre order type type of thing. Right. Uh, I mean, that's uh, what it is. That's what it's become. I just I, I keep saying I have I have a couple of friends who are in comics who are really against Kickstarter. They're really against the whole concept. Oh yeah, and yeah, and it's kind of like it's a shame because. It, it, I think the first couple of comic book people who were on here were using it the way, like Kickstarter was was originally like if you had an idea for a design for a belt buckle or some tech gadget or something like that. Like the original like hoverboards, you know, were uh-huh. on a play on something like Kickstarter, and you have all these designs, but it costs money to make a prototype. So you do a Kickstarter to raise money to build a prototype, 
you agree to give everyone one, you know, a, a prototype or a thank you or whatever. But then you're supposed to take that thing and go out and try and sell it and manufacture it and like, you know, sell it in Walmart or on Amazon or something, you know, mm-hmm. um, comics, the comics thing started that way. People were like, I'm going to come on here. I'm going to do a short. I'm going to try and pitch it to, to, to studios. The thing is, it's hard to find these indie comics. Like your buddies, the girl with the mega fists, one through four. I don't, I, I'm not going to find that in my local comic shop. Yeah. You know, that might be a great story. But it's it's hard for somebody like me, like you, like your buddy, to just start up a book and then get it into stores. It's a it's it, there's a lot of barriers to do that, you know. Unless you're publishing with like a a big indie publisher, if you're trying to do it yourself, it's impossible. So Kickstarter is just kind of like there's a, there's an audience out there who wants that kind of book. They want like really truly independent comics, you know. And so it's a great platform for it. And so I just treat it like pre-sales now. It's like, well, we'll come back. You're, again, looking at your buddy, 208 people did the first Kickstarter with The Girl with the Mega Fists. Issue two, 324. Issue three, 405. Issue four, 460. It grows every time. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great for him, you know? And that's great for them. All those people who come back each time and it, and it keeps a growing audience those are all new comic book readers. Those are all people who are not getting that book, you know, the traditional way. And then what, well, you know, what, one of the things I want to always do is take that book and then publish it and put it in stores. Like I want to heat like your buddy has proven that there's an audience who wants this book. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a, there's a way now to, to pivot and like publish it and put it in stores. And so people all over the, all over the country, all over the world can get their hands on it. And he has kind of like, you know, a groundswell of support behind it. He has like, it's got some buzz you know and that's great and that's that's like kind of what it's all about you got to build some buzz and then and then go out and make your thing yeah. uh i have really trying to pitch all right i well, i had one i had two companies approach me about my books uh one of one of the deals didn't sound quite right so i was like no yeah. uh the other guy's a buddy of mine with a company he just wanted me to be, be under his umbrella but i just right I told him I won't give him my main book. I got something else I can give you, and he just been tiptoeing his feet around it. But uh, I can't give you my main story. I can, I can write you another story that's similar, but I can't give you my main. Right. But uh, um, I don't know. I don't know if I would pitch it to a company just for that that extra benefit. I don't know yet. Uh, right. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like if I if it, I guess it. I want to do a lot of issues. But like, if I was getting the money up front to put it out there, maybe so I could spit them out like quick. Right, right. Um, uh, that probably I, I probably cop out for that because I might not get money for the books or rights or whatever. But pumping them out that quick, a TV show or movie gonna come out, you know, quick because of that. And I and right. I'll take that and I take that, you know, the conversation and stuff like that. And and I I like come from music. If I wrote this one book and people like it, that means I can write multiple ones and and get the same amount of money. So it wouldn't hurt. They're like, oh man, that book gone. I mean, so they like how I write. I can write right, right. ten more, and, you know, get the same amount of money. Right. Um, that's cool. Uh, so how's the reaction so far been to your point about your book? Uh, I mean, I I've gotten nothing but but like positive support. I've had a couple people, you know, you get a couple people online who will just like say like the, like some people have been have have wished it was going to be a longer book it's only 10 pages mm-hmm. um you know but i'm just getting started and i i didn't want to 
I didn't want to come out of pocket to do 24 pages of something if I didn't know yet if people were going to like it. And so the, the, the reaction has been pretty good. And anyone I've let read the script has been pretty positive, you know, and, and supportive and said nice things too. So, you know, I feel pretty good about it right now. And, um, when people get it and they actually read it and see the finished product, if they're into it, I'm definitely going to do more and they'll be, they'll be much, I'll be much more willing now into my pocket and kind of produce a bigger, you know, a bigger complete book, a complete story. Um, you know, not that this isn't complete, it's a complete story. It's just a short, you know, um, but the reaction so far has been great. You know, the art is, is really nice. I, I got to work with some really good artists and everyone's really been like supportive of it. So I'm very, I'm very happy, I'm very happy with where I am. I hit my funding goal in, you know, just over three days. Yeah, that's great. I hit my number pretty quickly. You know, that's not bad for my first time. That's my first time out doing this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm getting enough attention. You know, I've learned some things. I'll do some things differently on the next one. Um, it's been good so far been a good experience and like really positive and supportive and i'm excited about doing more and by doing more uh what type of more stories you are you think about doing so i'm this this one is a pretty violent kind of um you know anime influenced look to it and um it's kind of an adult story and it's about it's not it's not sexy at all but it's an adult story about um like parenting you know it's one one adult basically who's immortal he's the only person with any life experience and he's trying to keep a bunch of teenagers alive so it's really kind of like to me he's a parent you know like my i, I have three kids i keep them alive that's hard like i can only really <laughs> yeah. imagine if i had a million of them at one time who all were trying to like party like teenagers you know so so that's that story i'm writing another one that um, my seven-year-old actually kind of came up with the story um, it's called the Grizzly Crew, and it's about a it's a pirate story where the pirate ship is all all the pirates are bears on this one ship, and they're called the Grizzly Crew, and it's like a a grizzly bear, a black bear, a polar bear, all these different kind of bears. Um, and my son, my son, my little my little guy came up with it, and I was very like he was telling me the story, and I was barely listening, and then he was mm-hmm. like, Dad, it's called the Grizzly Crew, and I was like, What? And I finally started taking notes because it was really like entertaining. Um, so those are the two that I'm writing right now. And then I have, uh, I'm publishing a book by Rich Davis and Les, um, Lyndon Garner, who I was talking about before, one of the artists. Um, so Rich is the creator of the world of Dracula. He did Cult of Dracula and Rise of Dracula, um, that were both with, um, SourcePoint Press. And then I think he's doing something called Prometheus with Chains right now that's coming out or is, it might all be out now. Um, with Red Five Comics, he's great. I met him on a TV show that we worked on together. Um, he used to run, he used to own a comic book store in Knoxville, and um, he's awesome. And so he, his book is called Reign of Dracula. It's a sequel in the Dracula, you know, nice. series. Um, that'll be my next Kickstarter. We're going to launch that in October, right around Halloween. And then, and then the other, the last one is a is an anthology of stories that are all written by people who are in um, Scott Snyder. He, he does a workshop, a writer's workshop that I'm in. And so um, we're doing it. They've done a couple of large anthology books. So I picked it up as a, and we're kind of converting it into a, um, an ongoing anthology series. So I think I we'll start publishing. About, I think I heard him talk about that. Uh, that was on the Substack, right? Yeah. The first time um, he talked to the Substack when it, when the second book came out, I think he did it when the first one came out too. One of the short stories in volume one won an Eisner award. 
for the best oh. short story. Yeah, a book called the a story called The Beekeepers Do, um, which we went over in class a few months before. Like he had, you know, one of the one of the students like submitted it, and he'll like go through you know students' work on in the class, um, and then that that the story won an Eisner Award. So you know we're gonna we're, we're my 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 publisher um, Thorny Comics is gonna publish it as an ongoing series. So we'll we'll be it'll be kind of a way for anyone in his class to continually publish their stuff um, and have somewhere yeah. to go. We actually opened up for submissions last week. I've already got twelve stories to read, and you know so the first one we'll do that Kickstarter in March February or or January. Um, you know I don't want to do anything during the holidays. It's like a dead time on Kickstarter. I'm told. All right. Uh, so that's all p- people who was in a workshop doing submissions, or you did an open submission online? No, it's all going to be people who are in the workshop. The idea is um, because he's he's been really supportive of the whole thing. Like you said, he mentioned it in the Substack. He's very happy to lend his name to it. When he has time, he looks at the stories and he gets feedback. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we they did a tier on the last one where he signed some of the copies, so his name is on it. You know, he's affiliated with it. Okay. Um, so I I wouldn't want to open it up to just anybody. I want it to be people who are actively engaged with him and learning from him and uh, taking his lessons and applying them to their work. That's kind of the whole idea. All right, cool, cool. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So that's fun. And that's, you know, that's the next like six months of my life. <laughs> so from there, I don't know. I don't know what happens next. If, if this, if everyone likes everything we're doing, we'll just keep doing more. Yeah. Then, you know, then, right? being, then being in TV, you can, you can easily pitch your stuff to your connections, you know? I mean, I hope so. I worked with a company for a couple of years that has sort of an animation wing as part of it. And so a couple of these stories I definitely want to pitch. Like, I think Grizzly Crew idea would be a fun um, kids cartoon. You know, I think that'd be a really fun kids cartoon. Um, you know, Cicada Samurai is a little bit more of like an adult animation. That's kind of a harder sell, I think. But, you know, I would love to. I would love to. Actually, one of the first ways I got to know Rich with Cult of Dracula was we were pitching his Cult of Dracula story as a TV series, you know? So like, you know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not impossible to try and try and get a few of these on, on TV or streaming or something, okay. but we'll see. All right. But the goal, the goal is to make good stories and good comics. You know, that's like the main goal. Yeah. That's true. If none of them become TV series, that's fine. Uh, that's it. That's all I got questions wise. And I'm going to my mm-hmm. last segment, you know, uh, called digging in the crates, uh, which is another double meaning um, term, which is you know in the comic books, you know you digging in, getting them issues, you know them them old Walking Dead issues, you know all them back issues you went to after you read some some comic books, as well as uh, music, you know the old Led Zeppelin and whatnot. So I think just comb through, you know, this interview, and pick out something, you know, so the people can leave out with something from the interview. And um, the one question I'm gonna give you is. Um, being in TV or uh, film or the industry, uh, now you're in the comics. Uh, what what property would you want to produce and make a production of that hasn't came out yet? That's a good question. That's that's like <clears throat> so. That's a really hard question. Do I have to have one answer? I can only have one answer. Yeah, multiples. Uh, because I got, I definitely got multiples. Like, uh-huh. you know, like when I was, when you read something is killing the children, it feels like a TV show. It feels like episodes of a really like intense supernatural TV show, and so that to me like is would make a great TV show. 
I would love to try and adapt um, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples' book Saga into Saga, a TV. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. he they like they created that book and they kind of, they talked about this I think where they kind of intentionally made it almost impossible to turn into a show. Like the characters are so like visually ludicrous. Like the you know the prince robot with the all the, the all the characters who just have monitors as heads. It's such like a weird thing that I think when he first started doing it, he was like, no one, no one is ever going to be able to turn this into a show and I don't want anyone to do it. I would love to try and do it. I just think <laughs> it would be a lot of fun to try and figure it out. You know, like, like, like there'd be so many, it's like when George Lucas was doing Star Wars back in the day and he had to kind of invent technology, he did create special effects to make things work. Mm-hmm. I think you'd be doing that on, if you tried to turn Saga into a TV show, you'd probably spend years just like trying to build the right camera that would get the shot that you need for one scene you know you'd be like james cameron just waiting for technology to catch up so you could do avatar yeah you know that kind of thing so i would love to try and do that because it seems like it would be almost impossible to do well but i would i love like a ridiculous challenge like that okay so those two those two are pretty cool i'd love to i i really liked um scott snyder's series uh witches i would love to work on that he's actually talked about this a lot it is it's probably going to be a cartoon he's got a writer's room going for a a series so so they are already working on it um that would be a lot of fun to work on too but yeah i think something is killing the children is like would be like a fun action horror series it would be like working on early supernatural or something like that you know like that would be a lot of fun all right so if people listen to this interview after uh the kickstarter has ended where can they follow you for more of your projects or whatever you have going on yeah i'm mostly uh, the thing i'm most active on is instagram um i find a lot of artists that way i found takashi okazaki who did afro samurai he did my character designs i i just hit him up on instagram i found mary landro on instagram so instagram is the best place i'm at thorny comics Thorny like a rose has a thorn. Mm-hmm. At Thorny Comics on Instagram. I'm at Thorny Comics on Twitter, and I think I'm the only Thorny Comics on Facebook. But it's I have all the personalized things. Facebook.com/slash Thorny Comics is me. Okay. Um. So that's me. That's me everywhere for the most part. All right, man. Appreciate and you coming on, on Kickstarter. If you look, if you go to Kickstarter and you just look up Cicada, just type in Cicada and hit enter. You don't have to actually write Samurai. It's the only. <laughs> It's the only like current active cicada related thing on Kickstarter right now, so it's pretty easy to find. Oh, okay, all right, all right, man. Thanks for coming on, man. It's been fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I learned some things, so hopefully everybody else learned some things as well. Thanks, dude. I really appreciate it. It was a good conversation. Thanks for having See. me. Hey, I came back to the interview. I got the raid from cicadas, you know, with one of the lightning on it. But interviews are over. And all I can say is, y'all go check out Jerry. Check out his new book, and wish my all's well in his new journey as a writer. And dope books, Cat Samurai, who would have thought about that? And check him out at Thorny Comics, you know, and all the other publishers every week they might be doing. And if you want to follow my books, no bugs intended, look up LegacyReview.com or just follow me at LegacyReview. And you want to follow my co-host, Specs. Follow him at specsano 6 And if you want to be on our show, hit us up at chillagreenboss.com. I mean, chillagreenboss at gmail.com. And hit us up at chillagreenboss. I'm out.